Support for the game podcast is brought to you by StarCityGames.com, the world's largest independent retailer for Magic the Gathering singles and supplies and home for the best strategy content on the web. If you would like to support the game podcast, feel free to check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash the G-A-M podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to the 68th episode of the Game Podcast. I'm the host, Jerry Thompson. Here with me is Brian Gottlieb, a.k.a. Norin the Weary. The names are back. They're in full force. What the hell is going on? Yep, names going forward every single week. Don't worry about it. They'll be here. But I am, I'm playing the role of Norin the Weary today, although I may have overcome my wariness. Basically, we just did a, a really different episode for us. Uh, we kind of you know left the beaten path of deck analysis and format analysis, and we got into some more you know, ethereal type stuff, some more emotional, some more psychological things. AKA dangerous territory. territory. (laughs) I I was super wary, but honestly, at at least on my end, and I want to hear what your feedback is, but everything I heard from everyone was like super positive, really big praise. It seems like it's going to go down as one of our most popular episodes ever. Are you getting the same vibe right now? I am definitely. I'm super excited about it. So last week we talked about Greatness at any cost was the title, and which is just probably some of the best flavor text of all time, right? Oh yeah, for sure. And yeah, it is it is dangerous territory because like the price of greatness is not free, and there are some trade offs. And we talked about how you have noticed similar traits in like academia and lawyership and all that stuff. And it, I, I thought it was really cool. I thought it was really good, and so did everyone else. So I'm super happy we did it. I'm very excited to revisit that sort of topic in the future. And, you know, I, I know that there are things that we could have done better as always, and maybe six months, a year from now, we'll have more things to add. Yeah. And, you know, the the response to a, a different topic like that just shows, I think, how much our listeners trust us. And I'm super appreciative for that. You know, it, we kind of took them on a journey. They came along with us. They embraced what we were talking about. Uh, it was really cool to see. And I'm excited for the next time we get to visit one of these weirdo topics that goes a little bit astray again. Hell yeah, man. Absolutely. I understand your wariness. Like I definitely was too. It was like, this is either one of the best or one of the worst podcasts we're, we're going to have, you know, like right. other people. And the second we finished, I was like, I have no idea if that was complete garbage. Like people, people yeah. may not want to listen to that <laughs> whatsoever, um, but it seems like it worked out. But hey, we did a good job apparently. So that is awesome. Thank you all so much. And uh, of course, keep the feedback coming. Yep, absolutely. So coming weeks, I live in Renton, Washington, uh, about 20 minutes outside of Seattle, which is generous because that's with no traffic. But there's a Grand Prix here in the, in the Pacific Northwest, man. I'm so excited. I get like two or three a year. The hometown GP. There's there's nothing better. Unfortunately, I'm not going to be making it out to GP Seattle. I'm kind of heartbroken. This feels like it's going to be one of those memorable GPs. You know how some GPs are more memorable than others? There's just like this feel about them. They're bigger. They're more exciting. There's more people who you haven't seen in a long time at them. I think this is going to be one of those GPs and I'm really upset I'm going to miss out on it. Uh, Well, I'll let you know. (laughs) I'll let you know what you're missing out on. Okay. Keep me posted. Show me all the good stuff. I mean, I doubt that like a family of foxes is going to show up and like (laughs) make friends with everyone in the magic tournament. But you know, stranger things have happened maybe. Right. Look, as much as I love foxes, I also love other things. I can be satisfied with the tournament that isn't just filled with a bevy of foxes. 
Well, you know, it, it would be rad. It would be, it'd be oh, yeah. one of the, it would be awesome. It would be a memorable, great Magic tournament. The end. So uh, that is standard and legacy. We're going to talk about that a little bit. Uh, the following weekend is Grand Prix Hartford, which I am going to. You are going to. That's going to be rad. Mm-hmm. It's it's not super often we get to spend time together at the same tournament, but coming up, GP Hartford for my favorite format at the moment. Yep, I said it. My favorite format, modern. Dude, me too. Me too. Never thought I'd be saying that. Me either. Like I say that, I'm just like, oh man, like what what has happened? Anyway, we, we might get into some of that too. And then also a little bit further down the line, GP Toronto, baby. Yeah, very excited about that one. For for those not in the know, and I, I assume it's zero at this point. I haven't really told many people this, but Josh Cho did not want to go to Grand Prix Toronto which is a team tournament. And Cho, Cho and I have always been like, all right, who's our third? You know, because it's, it's me and him. We are we are BFFs in, in the best sense of the word. But he's he's taking a breather, you know? Uh, so I was like, oh, who can I get? And dude, sure enough, like, why didn't I just ask you in the first place? Why did, I, I went to Facebook and I was like, oh, who's who doesn't have a team? I should have just asked you. I'm sorry, man. I, I guess I fell out of your mind. It's not like we do a podcast together every week and talk all the time or anything. I get it. Why would you think of me? Listen, listen, <laughs> listen. It's okay. I'll let it slide. I'll let it slide this time. I assumed you you were not going, or you already had team, or whatever. I don't know. I'm I'm very bad at this. I like I'm very bad at just like coming up with like things from nothing. Right? It's just like, oh, who should I team with? I haven't had to think about this in like 15 years or something. So. That's that's my defense. No harm, no foul. We ended up and we're going to have uh, the first game podcast team event. Uh, I know Hell some people yeah. in our Discord have asked before. They're like, do you think you guys will ever have a team event that you can report on? It seems like it would be really interesting. Well, now the answer is yes. We're going to have a team event. Do you want to reveal our third now? We're not keeping that under wraps, are we? Nah, Todd Anderson. Mm-hmm. So a very powerful team of magicians for sure. I absolutely love Todd. Uh, you guys are not like super close or anything, right? No, I don't, as far as I recall, I don't think we've ever met before. We've spoken, oh. you know, on Twitter, had some interactions back and forth, but I, I don't think he and I have ever spoken face to face. Word, that'll be fun. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm I'm probably playing Legacy, I guess. Look, I'm I'm here for the ride. I, I'm like kind of the utility <laughs> guy. I, I will play any role happily. I feel comfortable everywhere. So you guys let me know where you need me and I'm ready to bat there. Word. Yeah, I, I kind of feel the same way. So I don't know. We'll figure it out. But either way, I am stoked, man. I am I went from like, oh, man, I can't team with my best friend to just like, hell yeah, Josh is staying home. <laughs> and we're going to have an awesome episode the week after that, too. We'll have so much to talk about. And, you know, we hear a lot. I guess it's kind of the state of magic right now that there's a lot of team events going on. There's a team pro tour coming up, but people often want team specific advice. And it's kind of, it's tough to give tailored advice to a team tournament. You know, it's a lot of just general advice still applies to a team tournament, but maybe when we're, you know, fresh off the experience and having played together, we'll have some really nice anecdotes to share and some really good pointers to, to give to our listeners. Yeah. I could see if, uh, like maybe Todd wants to come on the cast too. That might be cool. Oh, that could be real cool. And hopefully it'll be a celebratory cast as well. That'll be nice. Yeah. It, as long as we don't like O3 or something. I think <laughs> right. Then things go downhill real quick. Show just ends. We hate each other now. We're, we're distraught over oh, our man. loss. No, I, I don't think it'll be that bad. Man. So depressing. Now, now I'm wary. All right. Standard, I guess. We will touch on this very quickly for the thousand people who 
are going to be playing in Seattle. Uh, I'm, I'm curious as to what number of them listen to the podcast. That's very interesting to me. But Nathan Smith, also a member of Team Metagame Gurus, uh, he's on the moon side of things. He 5-0'd a daily event with Inventor's Apprentice Black Red. And I just kind of like looked at it and I'm like, deck's bad, whatever. And then uh, a week later, I'm thinking about the format, thinking about what I'm going to play. And I want to play like this white token deck, right? Like the the one that won the PTQ with like the the Hazarettes main deck and Pride of Conquerors and all that stuff. Yep. You know what I'm talking about? Yep. Just like looking at the lists and looking at the standard mocks that happened, uh, some... Pantheon people played Blue White God Pharaoh's Gift with four Ballistas main. And that makes sense because a braid is seeing very little play. And a lot of these decks are specifically targeting like low toughness creatures. So I'm like, oh man, like I want to, I don't really want to play like Sky Marcher Aspirant and Toolcraft Exemplar. So I went looking somewhere else and I decided like, oh, maybe like, you know, Carrie's Ev. And then I, I remembered Nathan's uh, Inventor's Apprentice list. And now I think I'm just playing that. Wow, that's not a deck that has really seen a ton of play uh, in in this iteration of Standard. Talk a little bit more about some other things you think it lines up well against. You mentioned the Walking Ballista thing. I totally get that. I tend to be on the Walking Ballista side of things, but when my opponent plays a X1, I'm usually overjoyed at this point. I have plenty of answers to X1 in any deck I build, You know, be it the vampire elvish visionary to just block and trade at a profit or walking ballista like you mentioned there's a lot of good answers to x1s and i tend to load my deck up with them because that's uh, often a uh, a point of aggression for a lot of decks right now yeah for sure but like x3 is actually huge because a lot of the sweepery type stuff that people are doing like you know the the white decks kind of blew up for a little bit there, and now there's a lot of like blazing volleys and shake the foundations and golden demises, right? So right. so X X three is just kind of where it's at, especially if you can get it on a one or two mana creature. Yeah, I I totally get that. Interesting. I, I hadn't explored that avenue. You know, when I was looking at more aggressive decks, I was also looking to get bigger for the kind of the same reasons you were talking about. I was doing it with green creatures. Um, if you want to look at the Standard mocks. I, I think the deck that 8 owed, the Volkswagen deck, which is a really cool name, is probably a better version of the mono green deck I was kicking around a bit with our, our Patreon supporters in our Discord last week. Just big fat creatures, blossoming defenses, heart of Kirins, a lot of aggression, a lot of big bodies that just are kind of laughing off this smaller removal. Yeah, I mean, people are utilizing a lot of their main deck and sideboard slots as additional equity against these small creature decks because, you know, rightfully so. Like, they have been doing really well. So then when you go to play against this aggressive deck and suddenly none of your anti-aggro cards really work, like, you're going to have a bad time. So right. that, that is basically where I wanted to end up with. And when you started talking about the mono green deck, I'm just like, whoa, where did this come from, you know? But, like, yeah, I guess we just independently arrived at roughly the same confusion or uh, conclusion, which is, like additional toughness is very, very good right now if you're trying to beat down. And we went different ways about it, you know, but like the information's out there and like people are using that and having success with it already. So I'm pretty excited. Right. And, you know, this also points to the reason you mentioned God Pharaoh's gift having some success. And you're right that part of the equation is the lack of abrades and they're actually able to resolve their God Pharaoh's gift. The other part of the equation is that in post-board games, they have access to Fumigate and they're literally the only Fumigate deck in the format right now. Yes. So they're set up to play games against these larger aggressive decks um, while still having like a, a proactive plan of like, 
here's my angel of invention. You can never beat it in game ones against, uh, you know, the, the smaller aggro decks. And as you mentioned, often adding walking ballista and, and getting that edge against them. So I can totally see why those decks had success as well. As much as I've bagged on the deck, I, it's kind of the deck I haven't really bought into at any point in these standards, but I do see its place in the metagame right now and why it's finding some success. Yeah. And I guess, I guess we should back up a little bit because the, the best deck in standard at the moment, I think is the salt. I constrictor deck. I can buy that. I played the deck a bunch. It's incredibly powerful, incredibly consistent. The Hadana's Climb has, you know, it used to be Constrictor or nothing. That was the entire deck. You opened on Constrictor, you kept it alive, you won easily. If you didn't, your deck was very, very impotent. Uh, Hadana's Climb is giving it a different angle of attack at this point, and it's a very, very powerful one. Yeah, and I mean, it also works incredibly well with Winding right. Constrictor. It functions functions as uh, a different kind of constrictor alongside walking ballista to just like mow over these small creature decks. So while the black blue type of deck, like either mid range control, whatever Grixis is still, I think the more popular macro archetype, at least on magic online and probably in the grand prix, I do think that like Saltai just individually is likely going to be very popular and is, is probably the best deck, but like, you know, you, you mentioned the Godfaro's gift deck having access to Fumigate and like being able to Fumigate Sultai and have Ballista against like the Sky Marcher Aspirants and the Red decks and the Token decks. Like, yeah, like the Godfaro's gift deck seems pretty well positioned right now, but I'm, I'm trying to dodge that a little bit. You know, like I, I am going to have four braids in my deck, in my main deck, for sure. Right. So it sounds like you're trying to get to the next, next level at this point, which that's how you go ahead and win a GP. So I, I totally get what you're going for. Yeah, uh, when I've played red decks, I've generally done pretty poorly, so we'll see how this goes. Also, like, the the standard tournament is after the Legacy tournament. Like, the Legacy GP starts on Friday, right? It's Friday, Saturday, and then standard one is Saturday, Sunday. So I'm only playing in the standard if I'm out of the Legacy. So maybe, maybe nothing even happens and I just keep playing Legacy, but we'll see. Well, it's funny, like, which do you hope for? You have to hope that your legacy tournament continues, right? Like you want to do well in the first tournament you enter. You're kind of left with nothing to do on Sunday, which is a, a weird spot. I live here, man. Well, that's true. It's, it's just another Sunday for, Never for me. Mind. This all goes out the window. Also, like, I I don't think I'm going to sleep much for like the next four days. Like there are so many awesome people in town and I just want to like hang out with people. And on Monday, I'll just sleep the entirety of the day. You know, like I'm just going to be exhausted, but... I, I've thought about this. I have considered my plan. And it's like, if I'm 6-2 in the legacy, there's there's no way in hell I'm staying in. Like, I do not like my chances of going 7-0, no matter what my deck is, you know? And I think a lot of it just depends on, like, how I'm feeling. Mm-hmm. Like, if I feel like, oh, my deck is well-positioned, like, maybe I'll keep going at 6-2. and two, Maybe I'll, I'll definitely keep going at 7-1 and one if I like my deck. And then if I'm 8-0, I'm just, like, priced in, right? Right. But... I think anything less than seven and one, I'm probably going to drop and play standard, even though like, I think my deck choice is good, but I think like there are a lot of fundamental things that I still struggle to understand with this sort of archetype. Like, I don't know. Nathan had two glory bringers main another in the board. And there's even things like that where I'm just like, what is glory bringer good against? Like when I was building my own decks, I, I would just like start with zero of them main and like maybe sideboard them. But if I wanted other things, like they'd be the first thing to go. Like they're good against Sultai but how good and it again it, like the the marty vehicles problem of trying to curve like one to five is very very difficult so i'm right. just kind of like more predisposed to like not have the five drops in my deck but like people keep winning with them like obviously glory bringer is just a good card right 
Right. So I think there are going to be a lot of things like that, like both submitting my final deck list and in sideboarding where I'm like, how exactly do I want to be configured that uh, I wish I was a little more well-practiced for, but I think Inventor's Apprentice is what's up. So let me ask this question. This is something our Patreon supporters ask us all the time in the Discord. What What is your your prep look like for the next few days as, as you lead into this? Are you going to get games in with your black red deck? So you get a sense of exactly where it stands. So you solidify your sideboard plans, or is it just something you're going to do on feel at this point and see how it goes? So during Grand Prix Phoenix, I started a Google document called sandbox. And it is basically like what I'm working on during the three formats at any given time. And I'll just like add and delete things as necessary. So it's like all in one place because sometimes I'll have like, you know, a, a standard deck list on my PC and then like I'll brew up something on my laptop and like maybe I'll write something on my phone, but this puts it all in one place. So like since Phoenix, I've basically been working on all of this stuff and I'll start with like a list of decks that I am considering and then just like slowly cross things off the list and then occasionally add stuff back on the list, you know? So that has been the majority of my prep and uh, for standard, especially I've mostly been banking on my previous experience because like three weeks ago, I played a, a reasonable amount of standard, like a lot. And uh, these last couple of weeks, I've just been really busy. So I haven't gotten a chance to play a lot. And standard especially is like, well, it's only this one tournament, you know, and like right. modern information, like anything I can learn playing modern is going to be useful for the foreseeable future. Right. So I, val- I value that a little bit higher than just trying to like get in some reps with my standard deck and I, I try to get in contact with Nathan Smith and like hopefully that proves fruitful and he can just tell me how to play his deck basically. Right. That's always nice when you get the inside scoop. Yeah, I, I totally get what you're saying. To some extent too, I'd be surprised if you don't feel similarly. Your head's already on the next standard. You're already thinking about where these DOM cards fit into the right. into the puzzle and, and not really focused on what's happening right now. You know, maybe that's a little bit of a, a downside of an early spoiler, but I wouldn't trade it for anything. I, I'm very much enjoying analyzing all those possibilities. So uh, it does create a little bit of a lame duck standard format a little earlier than I think Wizards would like. But despite that, it sounds like, you know, you, you've found a good plan. You, you have some thoughts about the metagame and what more can you really ask for? Like, that's what you do before any tournament. So you, you've done kind of the necessary uh, theorizing at this point. Right. And I, I would say that at this point, I'm spread very thin between standard modern legacy and like also Dominaria stuff. Right. And, right. you know, I make a, a decent amount of content. I certainly look at all the deck lists and I try to keep abreast of the, the goings on and uh, MTG Goldfish does a really good job of continually updating like the metagame percentages and stuff. Yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like I have a pretty good handle on standard. It is just like this very specific thing with these red decks where I've just always struggled with this. I don't know. I, I would like to think that at some point I'll, I'll actually figure it out and feel competent with it. You know, like there are people like Matt Severa and John Rolf, like these people who play these beatdown decks that shift roles and sometimes become a little bit bigger, sometimes not. And they they do really well with these decks all the time, whereas like I'm struggling to hit like 55% win rate. So uh, I do think it is possible. It's just, yeah, Dominaria is on the horizon. This this standard is, is basically lame duck. I think I have a good plan. I just don't see a whole lot of, I don't know, reason to just put in like the, the extra time and everything to get like the ac- extra like 20% of equity, I guess. Like if I'm playing at 80%, efficacy i think that's okay and i might not even end up playing in the standard tournament who knows so sure it's weird it's a weird spot 
Yeah, very strange. A unique situation given this kind of GP setup, which we haven't really seen before outside of, say, Las Vegas previously. So, Yep. And in Las Vegas, I played in all three Grand Prix. So hopefully that doesn't happen. Wow, that's kind of a, a dubious achievement to have under your belt. It was it was a bad week for me, man. Happens to the best of us. I didn't get off the Grix's Death Shadow train fast enough. Like, there were a lot of problems. Well, uh, you've remedied that now, right? Should we move on to that format? Are, are we done with standard? Do you have anything else you want to say to wrap up? Oh, we are we are hella done with this standard format. I'm going to well, maybe play in this tournament, and then it is full speed ahead to Dominaria. Agreed. Agreed entirely. So, modern. Like I said, I got my sandbox. What are you working on? So, I would say that leading into Hartford, there's kind of... Uh, do I want to go as far as... As three decks, there's definitely there's definitely two decks on my it's radar. Hollow One and Humans. It's it's not, but my choices are very much based on those two decks, which I am very comfortable saying are the two best decks in the format. Oh, however, I'm not going to play either one. I know that already. The three decks I'm considering are Mardu Pyromancer, because as humans just kind of rides this swell of attention, I think we know what can be done when you expect a large percentage of humans in the metagame. Um, and I think there's probably some answers out there that can be tailored to hollow one when you're expecting that deck as well. So that's one option. The second option is Karn, which probably surprises absolutely no one who has talked to me recently. I'm, I'm going to be ready for you this weekend, man. Oh, or yeah? You're, you're, you're preparing for Karn? I went 0-3 against Karn and Phoenix. That is not going to happen again. I'm not going to allow it. Anyway, continue. So so that's my other option. And, and I'll just break down why I'm kind of considering all of these decks. So I think that Tron is very much in its kind of default configurations, kind of coin flippy against both humans and Hollow One. And they can probably slant things a little further in their favor if they want to give your deck attention. But, you know, you win a few die rolls. I, I think both matchups are totally reasonable. You can win them both. I have won them both. I put my win rates right around 50-50 against both those decks. And I think I'm probably running a little bit favorable at that win rate, but I don't think that's too far off. I think they're generally both very close matchups. However, if there's a lot of decks designed to target Hollow One as well as humans, I expect that Tron will do an excellent job of preying on those decks if there's some kind of jeskai control that people whip up to deal with these decks if you know john takes a large portion of the metagame not that i'm convinced john can really succeed against either of these decks right now uh, but you know a tailored configuration designed to beat these these two decks i think tron's going to exploit those decks so that's why i'm interested in tron the final answer and anyone who has watched me play live is probably going to very aggressively Talk me out of this. It's it, lantern? Would, it would be Lantern. It would be Lantern. I think Lantern's pretty well positioned right now. You know, an unmistakably powerful deck that a lot of people, number one, don't know how to play. Number two, can't finish games in time. I'm sure I can check off number one. I've played a bunch with Lantern online. I'm very comfortable playing the deck. Number two, I'm not as sure I can check off. And that's what's giving me pause as far as Lantern goes. Okay. But those are my three options right now. Word. Here's, here's my take on the format. Humans and Hollow One are the two best decks. Yes. You agree with that? I agree with that. Okay, so I think I think I did a pretty good job nailing like the return of humans in Phoenix. I just went about it all wrong. Like I went a mm -hmm. step further than I needed to, added some four drops when the Jun matchup is like pretty close to coin flippy. So yeah, I kind of blew it. 
but uh, my my heart was in the right place, right? So those are the two best decks. I agree with you that you know there there are some decks out there like Tron where it's just like this deck is fine. Like it, you can tweak things a little bit here and there. Like maybe you play more ballistas to be a little bit better against humans, and maybe you play like some relics main deck to be better against Hollow One. Uh, but yeah, for the, for the most part, like Tron is just naturally good, and basically always will be. So where do you where do you go from there? My rationale was both that Lantern is good. It's more of like Ensnaring Bridge is good. And if you could put Land Destruction Crucible in your War of Invention Ensnaring Bridge deck, that would be great. And then I was like, oh, hey, like this deck has actually been crushing it online. Wait, this this deck exists already? Yeah, yeah. Go to look up uh, MIS, the number four, T-U-N-E. This is Misfortune. And uh, Jody Keith picked up this deck. Jody Keith likes Lantern. Uh, he top aided, I believe, a classic with it. Uh, Misfortune is probably the the top deck from the last Modern League. You may have just incidentally scrolled past it, thinking it was Lantern. Is this the one with Bottled Cloister? Am I seeing this correctly? Yep, that's the one. Wow. So specifics aside, this deck has Ensnaring Bridge, Chalice, none of the Lantern stuff, like no no Lantern of Insight, no Mill Rocks, has. Four Ghost Quarters, one Field of Ruin, one Tectonic Edge, and, and four Teleria Wests. So this is an ensnaring bridge land destruction deck, effectively. My mind is kind of blown right now. If, if you want to play Lantern, I think you should play this instead. Because I think ensnaring bridge is the key card, and your, your biggest blind spot is Tron, and this deck just has a bunch of land destruction, ways to find it, and ways to recur it. I'm just scrolling through this list. Artificer's Intuition? Are you kidding me? Well, fun of. Wow. This is a really interesting list. It's going to be hard for me to process all of this in the span of having just been introduced to it. And I will say, without a doubt, I saw this list as I was scrolling through and just like Lantern. I mean, I'll be honest. I don't read every list card for card. I kind of take shortcuts and try and move through it as quickly as possible. There's a lot of lists we get now, you know, praise MTGO. I mostly do that. But like a lot of the stuff that I'm looking for too is like, specifics like how people built their decks like those things are interesting to me it's just like oh this person like uh has like an extra fatal push main in their jun deck and like oh they're not playing any terminates why is that you know like is that a good change like i i actually look for the details on a lot of stuff i agree that there are some things that i just gloss over like if i see an affinity deck it's like okay sb iru always play scale of chiscoria some people are playing bomac career whatever but like most of the time i just skip through because it's not relevant to me right right uh, but this deck was very interesting and caught my eye. And this this person has uh, had a 5-0 posted six times, and Jody Keith has had one posted also. So this deck has been doing really well. Yeah, I mean, those kind of numbers point to this possibly being the next big thing. I mean, you're right. This is all – he's 5-0'd consistently. I don't know where Misfortune is on the overall trophy leaders, I'm going to pop open Moto just because I'm curious. I want to take a I'm, look. But Yeah, I'm, I'm doing that right now, actually. I thought about that this morning because I'm I'm writing my article and uh, it is certainly uh, part of it. Like, it, it's a lot of the same stuff that we're talking about. But Ensnaring Bridge is awesome. If you can play a deck that has Ensnaring Bridge, you will be very, very good against uh, the top two decks for sure. Right, right, exactly. And, you know, obviously that's where my Lantern Love was born. It's just like a, a free, easy win against the two best decks in the format. But if there's a deck where, you know, I'm positing that maybe the third best deck is still Tron, well, here's a deck that looks like it beats up on one, two, and three. Yeah. Uh, you can't really do much better than that in modern. 
um, especially at a time when I think percentages are a little higher than they've historically been for the best deck. It feels like there's just a lot of humans, like way more than there's been. Yeah, so we should we should talk about that. But Misfortune has 11 trophies. And some large number of them are with this deck because he appears all over the, the results. I would assume that the one that Jody Keith got posted in, like Misfortune probably also 5-0'd, but Jody Keith won out. Like he won the lottery that week. Very interesting stuff. So we've kind of tipped everyone off now. Everyone knows this is, might be the next big thing. There's, there, there is actually a seventh. If you click on their name, there is one that is just labeled blue-red. Uh, so this this was the first 5-0 that they had. So there, they, seven, seven of them are with prison. Uh, oh, they were this a could, Merfolk player previously, a Blood Moon Merfolk player. Okay, no, that was, yeah, that was the blue-red deck. Okay. So this prison deck uh, starting March 2nd. So like for the last month, basically, they've been right. consistently playing this deck. So right. that's a long time, man. That's a long time and a lot of victories. So we're going to need Misfortune to get in touch with us over on Twitter, at Brian Go at uh, <laughs> Jerry T. You can, you can holler at either one of us, Jerry with a three as opposed to an E. Holler at us. Let us know what's been going on with this deck. Have you just been crushing it for months, keeping it a secret, hoping to snipe one of these GPs coming up? Uh, did we just out you and and ruin your big plan that you've had for nah, you know nah. since the beginning of March? Jody Keith was streaming it. It's fine. It's out there. People have written about it, myself included. Um, okay, so I like Ensnaring Bridge. I also have Mardu Pyromancer high on the list. I am completely fine with just playing Vile Humans, especially since I own all the cards now. I talked about adapting the Collected Company Humans deck to be a Band Company deck, which I think is completely reasonable if you know, entirely unexciting. Yeah, it just seems like a little bit worse than just playing Vile Humans. Uh, you'd have yeah. to sell me on a really good reason to do so. They're, they're different decks. One is like this mid-range draw cards deck, and the other one is like build this big board. I, I understand that like one of them brought me to the other, but that's neither here nor there. Band Company has a much better Tron matchup. Okay. Uh, so Band Company also gets to play Reflector Mage, which is, uh, I mean, I guess Humans does too, but like you have additional accelerators. And I really, really like Reflector Mage and companies to find Reflector Mage against Hollow One. I'm pretty sure that the, the Hollow One matchup is, is probably pretty close because they're pretty fast. But uh, Chi Yim 5-0, a league that got posted with Mana Leak's main deck and his band company deck, which is kind of rad. Always like seeing Mana Leak in the mix, for sure. Where else did we go down the rabbit hole? We have some Eldrazi decks. I think Eldrazi is pretty nice, like basically all flavors. Although uh, I think it would have been better as a Phoenix deck than a uh, Hartford deck. And then there are some things that I was kind of messing around with, like Infect. Like, oh, maybe we should bring Infect back. Maybe we should try Traverse for Ink Moth. Maybe we should try uh, Traverse for Slaughterhorn with Phyrexian Crusader. And if you're playing Traverse, you can sideboard Death Shadows to beat Burn. And yeah, bunch of nonsense. Brixis or Esper Control with a land destruction element, I think could be good, kind of in the same vein as Mardu Pyromancer, where you're, you're just playing a bunch of creature removal, right? And, and card advantage. And it doesn't, like, the whole engine or whatever doesn't have to be, like, Mardu or Pyromancer specifically. Like, that shell could be anything, like you talked about, Jeskai, right? Right. Uh, Mono Red Aggro could be, like, a fixed burn deck, but is probably very, very underpowered. Are you talking about the Ferocidon deck? Yeah, buddy. Yeah, I played against that in a, a PTQ probably a couple weeks ago now. And I was just like, what are these cards he is throwing at me currently? Uh, like uh, the, the Blood-Soaked Heap was in his deck. And oh, yeah, then he played Ferocidon. And I'm like, what's happening right now? 
Uh, thankfully, I had the dismember for the Ferocidon and then was able to block with my worm coil. But uh, had I not, I would have been in a world of trouble. Nice. So I, I kind of like that deck as like, this is a good burn deck if you are not necessarily needing to race combo decks. And you still have like Eidolon to just shut the door on them, right? And mm-hmm. I, I think there's like more ways to actually tune this deck than people probably give it credit for. But like, if you want to play burn, you don't need to kill on turn four and people are playing a bunch of life gain or incidental hate cards against you. Like playing more creatures is a completely fine take. And this mono red aggro deck can then cut like its lava spikes and stuff for actual cards that interact with your opponent. So real cards. Yeah. yeah this deck, this deck could play four fork bolts, which is insane against humans. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you could, you're definitely going to play like four relics in the 75. If you're worried about hollow one, like I know that relic is not like the be all end all against them. Like it has a lot of problems, but it helps. And it also gives you a card that significantly neuters Tarmogoyf. But at the end of the day, there are two decks that I've settled on. One, I think I have uh, just kind of discounted, which is Living End. Okay. I've done it before. I, I get where you're coming from. And I've identified other points where I was like, oh, this is definitely the right time for Living End. Then I go ahead and play some games with Living End. And <laughs> I quickly change my tune. I, I don't know. It's just like Living End isn't good enough. It It folds to any kind of disruption Every kind you can think of, it folds to sweepers to some extent. It folds to graveyard hate. Uh, it folds to Thalia in some instances. It can fold to mana disruption. It, it's it's crazy how many things it's actually soft to. And its B plan of playing five mana four fours is just like so embarrassing. The, the, um, the B plan is awful. I think I think yeah. the the real B plan of the deck was always Fulminator Mage and Beast within to kill their lands. Right. That that's a better way to approach it, but. Even still, I will never sleep up Living End again in my life. It would have to be a ridiculous determination. It's not a good plan, man. It's just a yeah. plan. But yeah. like I said, I've I've mostly discounted it, although I do think that it could be somewhat well-positioned, uh, especially if you end up playing against like a reasonable amount of Tron decks. Sure. It's it's pretty solid against like the top four decks, I think. The, the deck that I if actually... You're, if you're, go ahead. I'm sorry, I don't mean to cut you off, but if you're talking about, you know hollow one wearing a target to some extent though you do have to think that things like relic of progenitus are going to be on the upswing this week that is a card i would i would fear to some extent yes um and you know that's that's kind of what forced living end was always you know tier 1.5 tier 2 ish um it's kind of i think taken a step back even from that recently to two five maybe even three um for what for what those terms are worth which isn't a whole lot but regardless what really forced it down in the first place was the massive expansion of Eldrazi Tron into the meta, playing four main deck relics and just an absolutely abysmal matchup for Living End. Yeah, they have like Chalice uh, and stuff too. Right, Chalice. I mean, just as bad as it can get. And I think that's what really like started to put the nails in the coffin. Things aren't quite that bad right now, but as Hollow One has... I mean, this is the point right now, as of this date, where all the questions about Hollow One are answered. This is a top tier deck. And, you know, that was pretty evident after the Pro Tour. And it was posited as we let into the the GP immediately following the Pro Tour. But now it's just like undisputed fact. This deck is the truth. Tons of good players are picking up this deck left and right. When players are are picking up a deck with the variance level of a of a Hearthstone deck 
and and the best players are ha- happily picking it up. You know, there's something really powerful going on. And this is kind of what I posited for Hollow One from the beginning. This card was very obviously going to do this at some point. Uh, it maybe took a little longer than I thought it would, but I, I'm unsurprised to see this deck uh, take up the mantle of one of the top decks in the format. Yeah, I was going to say, you absolutely called this card. I think the issue was that you didn't go deep enough into like the chaff bin to find, goblin lore. Yeah, to find the yeah. Burning Inquiries and Goblin Lords and stuff. You were like trying to play quote-unquote real cards, you know? And obviously right. this this card is just like, nah, do do messed up stuff with me. So you got to play the messed up cards. But yeah, I agree. Again, Hollow One is likely the second best deck. But the things that I said about Relic, like Relic is often just like a little too slow, you know? And it's not entirely relevant if they have like just a good Hollow One draw. So I agree that people are going to be playing more Graveyard Hate, which certainly does not bode well for living end. Uh, if the deck had a better backup plan, I would be more about it. And that is, that's one of the reasons why I got off it is basically because of hollow one, like both because like mm-hmm. the matchup might not be very good considering that they're also filling their graveyard with giant monsters. Uh, I was going to play main deck very macabre, but regardless. Right. And right. the deck that I, I'm kind of interested in as of today is bring the lightscape shift. Whoa. So what's, uh, what's catching, catching your eye about bring Delight? Uh, so Amulet is also a good choice, but I'm I'm too stupid. Also too stupid for Amulet, so I'm not faulting you there. I think like 99% of the population is too stupid for Amulet, so don't don't feel bad. You're joining very uh, esteemed company. Yeah, there's literally like four people who can play that right. deck well. Dude, I, I just, I like the idea of like this mid-range-ish uh, deck that is potentially very good against creatures and like my deck will be good against creatures. I'm going I'm to play like main deck timely reinforcements, which I think is very good against the top two decks. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is. Yeah, I just I want to leverage that into a, a thing that actually allows me to close the game. Like either it's taking full control somehow or just combo killing them. And like this is a format, I think, where just having bullets is very good. It's, it's really weird. It's like a, a Slaughter Games is good against a lot of the combo decks. A Crumble is good against Tron. Shatterstorm against Affinity and Lantern. Supreme Verdict is almost always lights out against humans. You know, like there's there's like a lot of situations where like Bring Delight is actually good. If I have concerns about Bring Delight, it's in pacing. I think a lot of these things you're talking about involve a fully powered Bring to Light, which, you know, isn't, isn't unrealistic. You certainly are searching and you know sakura tribe eldering you're you're fixing your mana all over the place i get it but if you just ever stumble against either of these decks and a card as clunky as as bring to light um and really a scapeshift combo in general which is kind of you know a mana intensive way to kill your opponent even if it does tend to come on turn five turn six i guess you have to get your bullets exactly right and if you think you have yeah. that figured out i could see this being a reasonable choice Timely Reinforcements is one of the most underrated cards in the game of Magic, period. And I think it is super, super good at certain points to bridge the gap for these combo decks. So, like, you're talking about, like, oh, man, like, you're just not going to have time. Timely Reinforcements. Like, Do you think that's enough? I Yeah, I'm going to play, like, at least two main and, like, another in the board, probably. I, I don't care about Lightning Bolt, necessarily. Like, I don't really care about killing creatures specifically. I just want like these tempo tools to give me enough time to do my combo thing, right? Like obviously there are some creatures like meddling mage where I will probably have to remove at some point. Right. But if I'm, if I'm getting to cast, if they name scape shift and I get to cast bring the light, then I can get Supreme verdict. It's not a big deal. 
Uh, if they name Bring Delight, I still have two scape shifts in my deck I can kill them with, you know? So, obviously, like, some fine-tuning needs to, to happen, but uh, I, I am confident that this is a pretty good choice. I guess I'm, j- I'm just concerned about, like, the Freebooter, Thalia, Medley Mage starts that, you know, the Humans deck seems to produce with startling regularity. I'm not even going to pretend like I understand the percentages on the humans versus bring the light scape shift matchup. I have absolutely no idea what they look like right now. No, I honestly don't know either. And uh, certainly that stuff is pretty scary, but yeah, I'm, like most of your cards do the same thing, you know? Uh, yeah, there's, there's certainly redundancy in the, the copies of bring to light and, you know, scape shift uh, your bring to lights casting six scares me to death. Yeah, of course. Of course. <laughs> your timely reinforcement. Costing four kind of scares me to death. People are moving away from Thalia, though. Okay. A lot of the lists are only playing three, which is not like a huge, you know, upgrade for me or whatever. Uh, but like if you lead with like Sacro Tribe Elder and they play a Thalia, like you still get to Timely, you know, yes. like you, you are a rep deck. Yeah. Obviously, if you play Search and they play Thalia, like they can mess you up. But I, I'm not saying it's perfect. I'm just saying like this is kind of where I'm at. I, I It's possible I also play like. I'm definitely going to have the Madcap experiment in the sideboard. I I could see playing it main deck. Hmm, that could be a good call. We're talking about you know a vulnerability to cards like Ensnaring Bridge that that vulnerability carries over to Platinum Imperion. So I could see that working out. I mean, Reflector Mage is the thing from humans, right? Right, but right, right, right. Hollow One is pretty close to cold to it. Like they have some, they have to like staple lightning bolts together. Is that it? I think that's it. Yeah, that's that's a that's a big ask. Bolt brutality, sure. So, like, they, they have some stuff. Yeah, they have to put a lot of cards together. Generally pretty safe overall. So, I think I've done this thing in Modern Historically where I am way too worried about, like, kind of, like, getting under my opponent or making sure they don't get under me. So, it's like, oh, Thalia against this, like, four-mana spell deck. But in reality, I don't think the games necessarily play out that way every single time. Like, that's one of the reasons why I basically never played Tron. Like, I play blue-white Tron, mm-hmm. you know? So, like, I, I'm not adverse to playing Tron lands and, like, cheesing people, right? It, it was just like, oh, this deck has, like, more interaction and, like, gives me more time and stuff. Uh, whereas if you get nutted on as Tron, you literally can't do anything. Like, if, if you're on the draw and you you Tron on turn four and, like, humans has a good draw, like, you're just dead. Yeah. But, but at least, like, the Scapeshift deck has interaction and ways to slow them down and stuff, you know? No, I get what you're saying. I mean... Look, there, there's options. You can certainly deploy against humans and Dismember can do a lot to to catch key humans here and there. But what you're saying is ultimately true. It's it's why the die roll is so important in the matchup. And in fact, in yeah. modern as a whole, um, the die roll is a, a huge, huge factor in determining who wins games. But yeah, I, I, I totally get what you're saying. No chance you sleeve up Tron for this tournament. I can't convert you to Karn. It's just not going to happen. Well, I don't own a lot of the cards, okay. which is an issue. I think my roommate does though. So like I, I, I have access to a lot of stuff, but obviously I could just, you know, borrow from people and stuff. So it's not a real excuse. If I, if I decided that Tron was absolutely the best deck, then sure. But like, I'm not confident that it is. And it's just been like floating to the top of the format for a while. The best deck is like two very, very fast, aggressive decks, which I don't think Tron really likes. Like when, when Jund was King or if, there was like Jeskai or Grixis or stuff like that. Like there was an easy thing for you to prey on. Then I'd be more about it. 
Right. I see your point. I guess I, I'm relying a little bit on the field taking the next step, which is always a risky proposition into a GP field. You yeah. Know, you, you can't count on that by any stretch of the imagination. So I get what you're saying. Yeah. So with, with the opens, it's always weird because you never know if it's just like, oh, yep, another tournament where humans just beat up everyone and no one was ready. Uh, and then Grand Prix, like sometimes that happens, uh, but also like sometimes it's just like, oh, like the, the format has evolved and like these decks all rose to the top and here's why, you know, it, it is it is kind of coin flippy in that regard. So I, I totally get it. Uh, right. if, if you're trying to like next level people, then yeah, I could I could see playing Tron, but it does seem like the people who have been playing Hollow One are going to continue to play Hollow One. Same thing with humans, and more people are probably going to pick it up. Like not not just like good people. Like you see, uh, Paul Rietzel and uh, Canister, yep, Jonathan Morawski. Like all of these people are playing Hollow One, right? Yeah, a lot of a lot of strong players have picked up the deck in in recent weeks. Yeah, it just seems like it's going to get more popular, not less popular. To some extent, too, I, I worry about because the modern field is so open. I was talking with a friend about this this week. I, I think that if you really want to, you can kind of construct any narrative you want around the format and convince yourself it's true. Because I've seen Dude, people do this. I've, I've seen them get to these conclusions that like, I, I'm like, I would never agree with you in a million years. You're thinking about this format all wrong, but they're convinced of it. They'll tell you why this deck is going to prey on this deck. And now it's the right time to play dredge or now is the right time to play this goofy deck that ad nauseum that no one's thought about forever and you know to them their narrative makes sense and and people could be listening to me talk about this tron narrative where you're going to prey on the decks that prey on humans uh and hollow one and just laughing hysterically and saying that makes no sense it, it's really hard for me to say in fairness ad nauseum might be a better bring the lightscape shift uh, if, if Jund continues to trend down, there is a point where ad nauseum will be good again. I, I mean, it really excels on beating up aggressive decks. Typically the problem is I have a feeling humans just smushes it completely. Yeah. I mean, you have, like, you have absolutely. so many cards, you have so many cards, but like, uh, Thalia is much weaker against ad nauseum than against most of the combo decks. Right. The problem is like medley mage freebooter are, are there right. to clean up everything else like you usually have one copy of slaughter pact in your deck and you know maybe a bounce spell that can deal with a meddling mage yeah i mean maybe you you just add like two repeals or whatever and call it a day you know yeah you could evolve i mean decks can always evolve that's that's very true or some amount of explosives like that could also be a thing but yeah, yeah. yeah. uh basically i think a kind of like mid-rangey combo deck that is good against tron does not use the graveyard and is good against aggressive creature decks is very, very good. I don't know exactly what that looks like. Uh, as of today, I kind of decided it was scapeshift. Okay. It'll be interesting to see where you finally uh, fall on the format once the time comes. Is there any any deck that you would just say you're making an absolute mistake by playing this deck at this tournament? Bloodbraid Elf. Not, not Jund specifically, but Bloodbraid Elf. Just the card, huh? The format is narrowing to a point where like the the decks are going back to like that 3.5 like turn four critical turn thing where like bloodbreed elf is is just not like the catch-up you want right like bloodbreed elf terrorizes more mid-rangey decks and the format has gone under them su successfully i think that's a good analysis and also kind of exactly in line with what i thought would happen when bloodbreed belt 
Bloodbraid Elf was unbanned. Things have played out exactly as I saw it. Jason Bloodbraid did not destroy the format like many people were afraid of. Uh, I would argue the format's just as healthy, healthy as it always was. On my list of a deck that I wouldn't play is, is I don't think you can realistically play Storm. Number one, I just don't think the current Storm configurations are all that good. Number two, I'm not convinced that your clock is really all that fast. Like you're, you're not a consistent turn three deck. You really can't fool yourself into believing you are. And I just believe that um, even a deck which is theoretically very linear and just an attacking deck like Hollow One, you'd expect that to be what Storm excels against. They should be able to outpace that. I don't believe that they do anymore. And the no. humans match up. I mean, we don't even have to talk about that. We know that humans will absolutely beat up uh, on Storm viciously. So uh, back to the Bloodbraid Elf thing. Some of the top decks, Humans, Hollow One, Tron, Storm, Affinity, Burn. Bloodbraid Elf isn't good against any of those decks. I, I would agree. I, I, I do think that Black Green something is good. I definitely agree with your points about Storm, where it's just like, yeah, like Humans is too disruptive. Uh, humans, I think, on average, is probably like a little bit slower than Storm. Hollow One is fast. Yes. And that's not even like if they get like an insane turn three kill, right? Like just their clock period is very, very fast. Yeah, you have to rely on them to fail. Like that's your plan as the combo deck. That's crazy. Um, that's what you're banking on against the aggro deck. Uh, that's a good sign that it's not the correct deck to play at this point. Yeah, so Ensnaring Bridge, uh, Phyrexian Unlife into Ad Nauseum at a later point, Timely Reinforcements into something at a later point, maybe Scapeshift. Like these sorts of things I think are very, very good. And the the big thing for me has been to try to figure out what deck kind of preys on these while also not just like scooping to another big portion of the metagame, right? So it's right. like, oh yeah, Searing Bridge is good. Let's play Lantern. And then you just Tron. like lose to, yeah, you lose to like Tron and Burn or whatever. And it's like, well, that was dumb. You know, it's yeah. like, yeah, I, I beat the one humans and the one hollow one deck I played against. I did it. Well, Modern is still really big. So you need to play something that is incidentally good against those decks while also still being fine against everything else. Yeah, despite what's going on in kind of the Mox field, I think it would be a very large mistake to fool yourself uh, into thinking that GP Hartford will be particularly narrow. I do think there'll be a lot of humans and a lot of hollow one. But when I say a lot, I mean, I'm not predicting anything over 10%. I think that would be crazy if it was greater than 10%. So that means you'll play it, you know, 1.5 times over the course of the tournament. You can't really warp your whole strategy. You just need to be prepared, I guess I would say. And I guess that's why I I, I probably will end up with Tron. It's just ab abstractly powerful, linear game plan um, with fine matchups against the quote-unquote two top decks. So, Yeah, so my prediction was that the two decks combined would be like 15% normally, and I think it might be as high as 20% this weekend total between the I two. Could, I could see that. They, I mean, they both sit around 10%. That totally yeah. makes sense to me. Yep. So uh, we are just basically on the, the same page, which I think is cool. And now we just have to like figure out a, a good way to like attack this field. Like we kind of have an idea of what it's going to look like, right? So now, now how do we proceed? And this is where the fun part is. Yes, it is. I can't wait to figure it out, get some time, get some games in, and uh, hopefully have a sweet one before Hartford, which we'll be sharing with our Patreon supporters, as always, on our Patreon page. Dude, how how rad would it be if we could just share one deck list for the two of us, just share the same 75? That would be nice. It's, it's been a long time since we've been on the same page. And honestly, it would be nice if I kind of just got back to when I first started playing 
uh, you know, like Star City Opens, my plan for every tournament was to just message you ahead of time and be like, hey, what deck do I play this week? You give me a perfect <laughs> list and then I would do great. This was kind of like in the call blade error. Yeah. So if we can get back to that, I'm completely on board. I don't I don't need to think or prove myself particularly smart. I'll copy your deck list happily. That's fine. Well, you you played Affinity in the mocks, so so these are the end times is what you're saying. <laughs> Dude, two see these are these are the little tweaks that I pay attention to. Two glint nest crane main deck, which is kind of normal, and then two more on the sideboard. Big on the glint nest crane. I couldn't even I couldn't even make a guess as to why he believes glint nest crane is a good card right now. He's probably hundred percent correct, but I I have no even theory why that's what I want to be doing in Affinity. It's it's good against people with removal spells, man. It's like it's another flyer that also finds a plating or a ravager or whatever. And his sideboard also has a Bitter Blossom and a Hazaret. And, you know, those cards don't all necessarily work very well together. But it is very clear that he values, like, this grindy type of thing. It's possible... So he thinks Jund is going to be widely played? Like, is that his prediction when he's adding yeah, cards like that? that? That is my guess, is that he overestimated the amount of Jund and, like, all the Jundy people just played Red Black. <laughs> okay. Why does, why does Hollow One even play Lightning Bolt? <sighs> You wanted to just give up on interaction, like hyperlinear, this is what I do, hope you can beat it. Well, what are you trying to interact with? What do you care about? I mean, let's not pretend like Lightning Bolt isn't one of the most efficient answers, threats, and basically cards ever printed. I know, um, you man. Know, it certainly accelerates your clock, removes blockers. It, it kind of just plays into any aggressive deck. There's very few aggressive decks that won't happily play Lightning Bolt if they have access to it mana-wise. I know. I'm just saying. What, what exactly are you trying to bolt? It could... Could this be more useful as another engine card? I mean, like they ha- they have two brutalities, so it's like okay, that's the next. You just like, want four brutalities? No, I'm j- I'm saying like brutality doesn't even necessarily fit the deck, and they have two just kind of like as a throwaway. Like okay, it's kind of an engine card, kind of a removal card, but like really, what if what if you just like played more engine stuff and tried to make it faster? Like what if you play Spirit Guide or something? Is that stupid? Like do you need cards in your hand to like? protect your hollow ones from burning inquiry is it that big of a deal i'm not sure i don't i don't have enough reps in if only you discarded simian spirit guy then it would be a no-brainer yeah of course slam dunk well call to the netherworld is another card that showed up in a couple lists which i kind of like yep i've seen that around i mean you could do like is there any way this deck has interest in bobbly type stuff probably not right that's actually probably too slow for a deck like this yeah i i would think that it's too slow that's really interesting when the zero mana artifact is too slow for your deck. Well, the zero mana artifact part is good. Just the drawing a card is so slow. You have to wait like right. half a turn, man. Too much. Right. No time for that. No time. Yeah, I'm not I'm not sure what engine pieces they're kind of missing out on right now. If there was one that you could convince me was, you know, right up their alley, then then maybe that would be the correct move. Um, I feel like though, just like four faithless looting, four goblin lore, four burning inquiry is really what you want to get into your deck. And after that it's all gravy. Yeah, whatever. I mean, it it also could be another aggressive creature to complement like the flame blade adepts, I guess. Uh-huh. That's possible. Right. So a- anything that ups your clock, obviously lightning bolt does up your clock. But it just it seems kind of like out of place and kind of bad. You could do additional recursive threats. That's the other option, right? Threats you yeah. can play out of your graveyard, like a scrap heap scrounger or something, could be fine. Sure. I I mean that that strikes me as way too slow. Also, if if people are attacking your graveyard, maybe just having another threat that doesn't use the graveyard would be good. I could see that. Maybe, maybe that's the next evolution of the deck. Yeah, it's it's hard to say at this point. Again, we have to remember this is a deck that like we're just believers in now this we it's just now uh cleared its tests 
has established itself as a player. So I'm sure we'll see innovations as time goes on with this, this list. Ooh, ooh, I think I got it. I think I got it. What about Thoughtseize instead of Lightning Bolt? And then you can also play Death Shadow. You just want to put Death Shadow in every possible deck. That's that's your goal now. I kind of do, but... I know. I also think that Death Shadow is a threat that is good against Graveyard Hate, right? So uh, It is. I, I don't dispute that at all. Um, your, your support seems kind of thin, but yeah, I guess like the main shadow decks aren't doing much more than fetching, shocking, thought seizing to mitigate their own life totals. So yeah, maybe that's good enough. Well, if, if you play thought seize, you could also like sideboard some dismembers to help it along. And maybe that's just worse than bolt because it doesn't go face. But, uh, you know, corner case scenario, you could thought seize yourself, discard your blood guest, play a land, play a hollow one, whatever. It's also kind of misleading, though, to think that this deck just straight up fades to Graveyard Hate. Like, you can still lead Flame Blade Adept, discard three cards, put two hollow ones into play. You know what I mean? Like, Dude, it, no. it's, it's not just. I, I know. And that's what I was saying. Like, Relic is a card you can play against hollow one, but it's not the be all end all. Like, right. It doesn't fix everything. It, it is slow and it doesn't attack all the angles. So, right. Uh, right. Thoughtseize could be a good way to be on like the next level and, and just be like anti-hate. Like if people are playing things like ensnaring bridge or whatever, like Thoughtseize is actually a reasonable answer against them. So, yeah, that's cool. I, I'm surprised there aren't more copies in sideboards. Like I, I see a couple copies floating around here and there. Um, it does seem like a card that maybe should be in higher numbers though. in a lot of these lists. When I played dredge for a few tournaments, I, I liked having Thoughtseize in my sideboard as anti-hate and, to stop faster combo decks and just like as a general all-purpose thing. It's like a thing that helps against combo decks and against some of the hate cards. Yeah, I totally get that. It, it seems like a totally reasonable inclusion in this format where everything is like the decks are super wide and there's a ton of things you have to answer and be prepared for. Well, I'll just take them preemptively and then I don't have to, you know, stack my deck with these reactive answers that I have to line up perfectly against what you're doing. Yep. All right, so we are we're basically at an hour mark. We have some Dominaria cards to talk about. You want to just roll right into that? Yeah, we can we can hit that up. Do you want to give us a sneak peek on on your Legacy deck since that's the oh, first yeah. format you're going to be playing? <laughs> well, you forgot to talk about Legacy. Yeah, uh, I mean, I don't think we need to go super deep, but we got to at least touch on why why you're playing what you're playing. I'll post my list on on the Patreon for sure. But okay. I like blue cards. We talked about this a little bit. I think that my time is better spent building a blue deck that is good against the format and specifically good against mirrors than trying to learn how to play Storm or whatever. So that's kind of my plan. I'm looking at Sultai. Uh, a lot of the blue decks have Him to Turok or Kolagon's Command. The other blue decks have Delver of Secrets, which I'm not worried about in the slightest because my deck is just going to dominate them. Like I'm going to be mid-range to their aggro and just kind of crush them. And so it's like, how do you beat him and Kolagon's Command, which are two of just like the most like absurd cards for making the games into non-games, you know? It's like, yeah. oh, we were playing this nice game and then I got hemmed and then it was just like who won was just kind of like a random outcome. Yeah, I mean, there's there's tons of non-games being played in Legacy right now, but there always has been. I mean, that's kind of where these these Grixis Delver decks are getting a lot of points. You can, you can want to be mid-range all you want. If you don't get to participate in the game, it really doesn't matter all that much. Yeah, so how do you beat, like, getting him to Turok and maybe, like, they take your only lands or they take your only spells or, like, they take your spells and then you draw lands, right? Like, him, you just, you have very little control over. It's very, very strong. And if you are the one casting him to Turok, as I have been many times, like, sometimes they peel a Jace and you just lose, right? And Key Command kind of, like, adds to this nonsense where it's like, 
all right, you hem them down to nothing. And like, maybe you hem each other down to nothing, but then they're like, oh, I drew a K command. It's just like another absurd card that just like gets someone super far ahead in the game. Right. Leovold is another example of this. Uh, I am very, very confused by the amount of people who only play two Leovold. I could see upping that number successfully. Or one of the things you had mentioned in the past, which kind of piqued my interest recursively, or Leovold seems like a pretty good investment to me. Unearth? Yeah. I mean, it just makes a lot of sense. So many of the games are completely dictated by Leovold's presence on the board. Just maximize your Leovolds that you can fish out of your graveyard at will. Yeah. Uh, so obviously the problem there is like Death Rite Shaman and Death the like. Shaman. But you have to control that card anyway to be be participating in the game. Like if Death Rite Shaman is sitting on the board for a bunch of turns, that's pretty problematic to begin with. That is almost certainly true. Uh, so step one is killing their Death Rite. Step two is try and put a Leovold into play. Leovold against opposing like him to Turox and K commands is just like whatever. Like I, I want to be on the Leovold side of things, of course. And... Leovold on the stack kind of runs afoul of Pyroblast. Him to Turok is good against Pyroblast. And like black cards are just kind of good against all of this stuff in general. So like maybe Bitter Blossom, uh, either Liliana, Unearth was the, the card I was thinking of. So like I might just play a Thought Scour Unearth deck and just like try and actually destroy people. But barring that, uh, the other deck I saw is like this Construct Stompy deck that's like Arcbound Ravager, Lodestone Golem, Thorn of Amethyst, Chalice of the Void. I like that deck. Wowzers. That's an interesting one. You know, I think Chalice of the Void should be insanely well positioned in Legacy. The problem is the decks that surround Chalice of the Void are kind of stagnant and not very good. Um, They're usually like these mono red stompy decks or, you know, some other kind of, I guess there's Eldrazi, which I'd put in like the medium category. I I don't think it's great, but there's there's more efficient things to be doing around Chalice of the Void that I I think that aspect of the format has gone completely unexplored. Yeah, I agree. And you might point to things like K-Command, but having uh, Thorn of Amethyst and Lodestone Golem and being able to play those like main deck and have them be awesome is a a pretty big strike against K command actually, because you have a bunch of acceleration. Like this deck has Lotus petal and Mox Opal. You have a bunch of two mana lands. You have wasteland. Uh, The, the one kind of strike against them is that they don't have a a removal spell for death, right? Shaman. Like they have walking ballista steel overseer arcbound ravager, but that's, that's like such a big hoop to jump through. Like I want to kind of get some dismembers in there and cut some of the weaker, weaker cards. Yeah. I was going to ask why not just dismember? That seems fine. But yeah, the, the problem with Eldrazi is that like they, they haven't really main-decked Thorn of Amethyst all that often, and I like Thorn and Lodestone Golem, and the Eldrazi themselves are not nearly as disruptive, and they're not disruptive in the right ways. Like, Mimic and Endless One and Reality Smasher are just creatures, and like going long, they're just going to stabilize. Plus, Baleful Strix is a huge issue, and everyone has a million Strixes in their deck now. Uh, and, and Thought Knots here just doesn't do enough. Like Lodestone Golem has a much better permanent impact on the game than Thought Knots here does. What do you make of the fact that while Lodestone Golem is, well, no, I, I mean, I guess Lodestone Golem has the problem of vulnerability to the most widely played removal spells in the format, right? It fatal, just eats fatal a bolt. Push? <laughs> fatal Push kills a bolt. Do you both. think Fatal Push is more played than Lightning Bolt at this stage? Uh, I kind of think it should be. Well, whether you think it should be is not really impactful to how it's, many you're going to see throughout the day. No, it's it's close, man. I, I think it is really close. I, I like Delver is more likely to play Bolt, and I think the controlly lists have like a split on both. It might be like slightly in Push's favor overall, but yeah, either way, like Diabolic Edict is also like a widely played card now because of Merit Lage. So 
Uh, they, people do have answers to your big things, but like if you play Lodestone Golem and tax their mana, that is, that's step one into like being able to get the game into a spot that's favorable for you. Right. And if you lead on like Thorn of Amethyst, like you are very close to just locking them out of the game. Uh, whereas thought, thought not here is just like, all right, look at your hand. All your cards are the same, or you're going to cantrip and find the card that I took. Like it doesn't really do anything. You could, you can definitely sell me on the idea that taxing the add additional one colorless to a to the cost of cards is way more impactful than the other forms of disruption uh, like you said there's a, a tremendous amount of redundancy not only in the top decks but just throughout legacy all your cards do the same thing yep so taking one card with thought not seer is very like likely to be low impact whereas taxing your opponent's mana in combination with things like wasteland and you know i'm assuming you'll probably have a crucible of worlds floating somewhere around this list it's very easy to ensure that your opponent just doesn't have access to their spells at all yep i no, i I totally agree and i saw that list and i was like this this looks good this this is exactly what these types of decks should be doing and i think that there's you know some some massaging and fine-tuning to do there or whatever but uh i do think that that's a good plan and Playing these decks, I have I've made the comparison to like they, they feel like playing limit poker, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. I, I was a big limit poker player when I first started playing poker back in the day. Yeah, so playing the Eldrazi decks is limit poker to me. It is a structured game. It's always like play land, use all your mana, like attack with creatures, pass turn, like have very little interaction. Like mm-hmm. you just have so few decisions per turn, but the things that you are doing are generally more powerful than what your opponent's doing. Right. And I, I don't mind just like F6ing and like passing the turn and just like putting my hand down until my opponent takes their turn and is done. You know, like that, that is fine for me every once in a while. I understand why some people do not like that aspect because you're not really playing magic anymore. You know, you're just like, I take my turn, you take your turn. We just kind of like, you know, we're two ships passing in the night, whatever. Right. Well, I, I hope you go with this construct deck. I think it's very interesting and a very underexplored aspect of legacy right now that could really use some some ironing out and fine tuning. And the reasons you're positing for it being potentially successful in this tournament, they make a lot of sense to me. I, I, th- I think your work checks out. Yeah, I'll I'll check out the source thread on this deck because I'm I'm like ninety percent sure it came from there. Like construct stompy is a thing. Uh, so I'll see what they say. I haven't seen it put up too many good results on Magic Online or anything, so that's somewhat concerning. Yeah, but I mean, you can't make too much out of that, right? I, I don't know that the legacy scene on Magic Online has ever mirrored the actual real-life legacy scene. And No, there's, also there's more nonsense, for sure. Yeah, and I also don't know if there even is a legacy scene anymore. I mean, things have kind of... You know, there, there's not the weekly Star Cities to kind of keep the meta flowing and, and keep track of things. There's just this kind of big mishmash of legacy decks, and it's a very difficult format to pin down. I see room for a breakout deck, basically, is my point. I, I think there's a lot of unexplored territory, and this definitely falls under that banner. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. And it's a combination of like, oh, man, do I want to try and like snap the metagame in half? Or do I want to play with a bunch of sweet, fun blue cards that I haven't played with in a while? Tough question. I, I don't know what your answer is going to be, but I, I hope it's it's the first one. Yeah, I'll, if I can, I'm going to try and find like City of Traders and all that nonsense. Like, Yeah, a lot of expensive cards to find. Yeah, the good thing about the blue deck is that I have all the cards except for some of the dual lands. So, Don't take the easy way out. I know, man. I, I hate it when people are like, <laughs> oh, I can't find the cards. It's not a good excuse. Like, I can definitely find the cards. It's just how much do I care about putting in the time to find them? 
Right. I, I know how it goes. You have to really believe in what you're doing if you're going to make the effort to track down all the cards. Yep. And if I go through all this effort and then I like 03, I'm just like, God, I'm stupid. But yep. at least in this case, I can be like, oh, Brian told me to. So. Oh, great. No, I'll take the blame. That's fine. I'm willing to eat the blame on this one. Nah, but you get the credit too. Yeah, that's kind of my MO, right? I'll just just kind of wait to scoop up the credit when it's the right time. And then if this goes poorly, I'll completely deny that I had anything to do with it whatsoever. Hell yeah. Well, I don't think, unfortunately, we're going to get time to do Dominaria stuff. Yeah, we we talked a lot. We always talk a lot. Why can't we just shut up and, and move through all of our assigned topics like good hosts? As a, we just get sidetracked and want to talk about magic forever and don't get to check all of our boxes every week. Uh, we, we wasted too much time talking about standard. I think that's the problem. Maybe. Apologies, but that means uh, when we talk about like modern next week and uh, the rest of this Dominaria stuff, there'll be more cards previewed, which will be good. There's like 10 uh, that we haven't talked about that we want to talk about that are rad. They're so good. Yeah, the fact that every card seems to be awesome is, is it means we're going to be talking about Dominaria for a long time and have a bunch more shows about it. So bear with us. We'll certainly be back to it sometime soon, talking about all the cool new stuff that showed up. Hell yeah. And uh, no, I'm, I'm excited to like build Dominaria decks again with these new cards. So. Same, same. A lot of cool stuff here. Cool. All right. Sign us out. Oh, question. Oh, question. Question. You caught yourself. No, you caught yourself. It's okay. I'm, I'm gonna I'm not gonna punish you this time. You you realize your mistake. You're getting there. You're slowly coming around. That's a game. Um <laughs> nope, nope, you're blocked. I really like this question. I, I don't know if it's gonna fly for you because I, I think there's more at stake in you answering this than me answering it. Uh oh. Um but Callum Bowsfield wants to know who is the best player you've ever played against? What was the best play you feel you've ever made? Do you have any thoughts on that? Uh, yeah. Best player, I think, would be like person who I am terrified to play against. Like, uh, it, it's it's probably Neil Reeves. Wow, I don't I don't know if anyone was expecting that answer. So, do you want to elaborate? Ne- yeah, uh, Neil is kind of old school dude. Has two pro tour top eights. Uh, quickly left magic to pursue other things in life. Uh, first was poker. Second, it was working at pinnacle sports. And now he's back in the States and has been playing like a little bit more magic. And I think he wants to play more too, which is really exciting. So this, this can be like me calling his triumphant comeback if that actually happens. But he's just one of those dudes who gives nothing away. And like, you ever play the game and you're like, you're just, my opponent just had like perfect answers for everything. Yes. That's like every game playing against people like Neil. And the reason right. for that is because they don't use their cards poorly. Right, right. They get maximum efficiency out of every single play they make. Yeah, and they, he just like shuts you down on every axis every time. And it's like you look at the cards draw and it's like, oh man, I should have just annihilated you, right? Like my draw was so much better. And it's just like, yeah, but he played way better. And there's no like specific turn that you can necessarily point out where you're like oh i punted on this turn it's not like i suicided my creature or anything it was just like no like i was i was kind of like doing my thing and he was doing his thing by just like playing me right and Mm -hmm. i i would just get got very very often it was just a matter of him being like far and away better than me and having like a bigger grander vision for the game yeah that's i mean the experience you're describing is exactly the same 
for my experience, when I, when I name the best player I've ever played against, I'm not saying this is the best player in the world. I mean, I think it's important to make that distinction. It's just the act of playing against them feels so different. Uh, it, it seems like they're doing things that no one else is doing. Um, and it could just be, you know, the sample size of the particular games you played against that person. They were ones that allowed them to really show their creative brilliance and, and how difficult of an opponent they could be. And maybe other people who are you know, as good, if not better players, you just haven't had that same experience with. But anyway, my answer is Kentaro Yamamoto. Yeah. We battled twice at Pro Tour Magic Origins, and I felt very lucky to get a split against him because every game we played, it just felt like he made my cards worth half a card. Like every single yes. card in my hand just wasn't doing what it was supposed to be doing yes. because his sequencing was so good and his uh, you know, broad visions for the game were so strong. And just, I said, after, as soon as we finished our matches, I was like, that was the best magic player I've ever played against. Yeah. And and I know like, you know, his record doesn't necessarily bear that out. Not to say it's not spectacular because he's unquestionably a spectacular player, but there's people with more accolades, but I've never had the same feeling after the match ended as I did playing against Kentaro. Right. Uh, so Kentaro, Yuya, uh, Shota to some degree, Luis, definitely like a lot of people fall under th- this camp of players and mm-hmm. uh, marker rolls was another one. Gabe walls, like, these are the people where I play against and I'm just like, God, they are so much better than me. And it's just yeah. gross. Right. And in, in Kentaro's case, uh, I mean, he has three pro tour top eights, I believe, and maybe a ninth or maybe it's like two and a ninth or something. I think he has three, but like that, that dude is hall of fame bound, you know? Yeah, I think so. It just so happens that like Shota and Yuya and all these other people are killing it. But Kentaro's on Musashi. Like he is, he is one of their best players. He might have issues with like, oh, maybe like he's not as great at drafting or uh, maybe his constructed deck selection is a little bit off or whatever. But like you you put cards in his hand, right? Like you give him an opening seven, like he is going to play better than anyone else for sure. Fearsome. That's the way I would describe him. That's the word that comes to mind is that he was a fearsome opponent. It doesn't even do it justice though, man. It doesn't even do it yeah. justice. So the second part of the question, best play you feel you've ever made I can point to a game I played against Kentaro and you can check it out. It was uh, round 10, round 11 of Pro Tour Origins. We were playing to go to 10-1. This is is the last round of the the second booster draft, right? Last round of the second booster draft, game three. Um, I kind of knew his deck was much better than mine. Um, I had to send to sleeps in my Magic Origin decks, which is not a good place to be. And I took this, you know, kind of very sculpted line very early on in the game that I was playing to a certain result, um, made a, a subtle bluff along the way, used a card in an unorthodox manner, and was able to eke out Exaxes on probably the last turn where it was possible I, I could do so. I still think of it as like the high point of my Magic playing career. I thought I played particularly well. It's nice that I got captured on camera. So it's always good when you're high. Oh, yeah. Point. There's video evidence of it, so you can send people to that. But yeah, that's that's the game that immediately springs to mind for the second part of the question. I, I have a couple, and I mean exactly a couple, where I'm just like, okay, like I was playing out of my mind, right? Uh, mm-hmm. One of them was the Thoughtsies in the mocks from like two or three years ago. I don't remember this. You're going to have to at least give us a quick breakdown of it. Okay, so uh, I thought sees I'm playing Charlotte. I'm playing against uh, four color alone. Bad matchup. This is top four. Uh, this is game one. Maybe no. I think it's I think it's game two, and I'm down a game. And I thought sees him, and his hand is punishing fire, punishing fire, 
Night of the Reliquary, and I tank for like no joke, forty five seconds, and that was the bad part of my play. Like if if I need if I was gonna do this play, I needed to just like absolutely commit to it. But like I didn't even necessarily think that this was a play that could come up, right? Like it had never crossed my mind. But I was short on lands, and I really wanted him to commit a three mana card next turn so that I could force a will it on tap, play Shardless Agent. Okay. And so I thought sees him and I'm just like, okay, like this is where I'm at. This is where he's at. Uh, this is really what I want him to do next turn. If I take his Knight of the Reliquary, he's just going to wasteland me. Like that is a given, right? Uh, right? So I just effectively take a non-card, which after 45 seconds to a minute or whatever was just awful because he should have been like, oh, like why did he tank so long and then take this awful card? Like he obviously has something for this knight and he he knows my deck list, you know? So like I, I think it would have been pretty e- easy for them to discern that they should wasteland me and I'm short on lands. So I thought he's a punishing fire after tanking for infinite. Uh, they play land night of the reliquary. I force it on tap, play through land, Charles agent to Sylvan library, go on to win the game. Nice. Nice. Awkwardly enough, my opponent drew dark confidant for the turn. So could have played Bob and wasteland me. Oh, Oh, so and, and, and he still had another land left over to like cast the night on the following turn. So, uh, if I was in his spot, I definitely would have done that. But you gave him room to punt. I mean, like, that's kind of... I gave him room to punt, and he did. Right. Like, that's the sort of thing where it's like, oh, man, like, if I just played on the up and up, I never would have won this game. So, like, you know, I did this thing that was really, really dope and got it to a game three where I got annihilated and, you know, bad beats. But, like, I gave him my best shot, you know? Mm-hmm. That's it. Boom. Uh, I think players... Some players have criticized... Uh, the thought sees as just being bad because like, oh, obviously he should see through it. And it's like, no, I know what level this guy is on, right? Like if I just let him have his knight, he's going to cast it. He's he's not going to wasteland me, you know? And that has to factor into your play too. Like you can't bluff a calling station. Like you cannot try and bluff a person who is not going to fall for it, right? But it's like, I did this thing where I knew he was going to fall for it. And that was like the, my best shot of winning the game. Right. And what's funny is, is that bluff wraps back around as the player gets really good, right? Because you can then make it look like you're yeah. obviously setting them up to do that. So that means you don't really want them to do that. And then they talk themselves into doing it. You know what I mean? So it starts looping back around at some point of competency. Well, it's weird, right? So Luis was doing commentary and like, as soon as I started thinking about doing the play, he was like, oh, here's a funny thing that Jerry could do, which like kind of sucks because if I just did the play and they're like, Oh my God, what is he doing? And then it just works out masterfully. Like I look like a genius, but yeah. it's, it's Luis doing commentary. He sees everything, he you know, at, as, as we established earlier. And he's just like, Oh, Hey, here's a funny thing that Jerry could do. And it's just like, damn it, man. You like stole my thunder. But if it, if I'm saying I'm playing against Luis, right. And I thought he's a punishing fire. Luis is going to be like, okay, why would he do that? What is the scenario that would make him want to do this? Like, okay, maybe he's short on lands and has force of will, right? And then, like, maybe he wastelands me or whatever. But it's like, in what situation am, do I not have force of will and I'm mana flooded and don't care if he wastes me that I wouldn't just take the knight anyway? Like, if I'm flooded, I would just take the knight. So I think that, yes, there are instances where that sort of thing can completely wrap around and I can just, like, effectively double bluff him. But this is not one of those spots, I don't think. Okay, that makes sense. Um, what was your second one? You said you had a couple instances. Oh, Do you have a oh man. One? Yeah. So this this is one where the double bluff uh, actually happened. So I, okay. I'm playing sealed against John Sonny. You know this cat? Yes, I do. 
John Sonny is hella good. Uh, yep. Has Infinity GP top eights, like 10 or more, maybe one team Pro Tour top eight, but like some top 16s. Like he was just a, a, a target guy. And he, he was very, very good. He was just a robot, man. And he, he was like a robot that was like capable of doing crazy stuff, though, which I really liked about him. Like, because he was able to uh, inject some of this like going above and beyond like next level stuff into like his robotic game. So big, big, massive respect for John. I'm playing against him. Uh, he plays Mana Dork into uh, Algigarial. This is four mana, one, one hexproof uh, or shroud, maybe four mana, one, one shroud. Whenever a creature dies, put a counter on it. Yep. We're both Naya. My deck is really bad. I cannot beat this crocodile, right? I play a Court Archers, which is 1-3 Reach Exalted. Not a very good card. And he plays turn four Rayclaw Gargantuan, which is 5-mana, five 5-3. Five, pay one mana. Give target creature the power five or more first strike. Yeah, that card was bonkers. So my opponent has like Unbeatable Crocodile, Rayclaw Gargantuan, a mana advantage. I have 1-3 Exalted. I'm in a bad spot. To my credit, I think I played this pretty quickly where I attacked him with my uh, court archers. So 2-4 now. And he, he thinks for a little bit. He looks at me. He says, I don't think you have the pump spell, but I'm going to take it anyway. So he goes to 18 or whatever. And then post-combat, I resounding thunder, 3 mana, 3 damage to his Rayclaw Gargantuan. Okay. So what does this look like to you? I don't even know. I mean, I would have to recall what's in this format. I don't, I don't even know what you're setting up here. Okay, so if if I do not have a pump spell, I just kill his 5-3 and attack, right? Because he could just block my 2-4. Right. So me... Oh, so now you're saying you did you did have the pump spell, essentially. It, it really looks like I have a pump spell, right? Because otherwise I would just kill his thing and attack him. Right. The thing was, is that, like, I had, like, Bull Ceridon in my hand, which is, like, 6 mana, 5-5 five, five Vigilance Haste, just, like, straight busted in this format. And like yep. some slower cards and I knew I couldn't beat that crocodile and I couldn't beat his clock. Like I needed that croc to stay out of combat. So I attack him with the two, four. I don't have a pump spell, but I concoct this play to make him think that I have a pump spell so that his, his crocodile never attacks or blocks. Right. So his crocodile continues to grow and it's not attacking or blocking because every turn I'm like playing a 2-2, leaving two mana up while he has a 3-3 croc, right? So he doesn't attack with it. I attack him. He can't block. And like eventually things start trading. The crocodile gets bigger and bigger. I get all of this extra time. And then he ends up like peeling a Johnny Vengeance into like his own bull Ceridon into something else to kill me. But you brought you bought yourself like six turns. Probably more. It, it yeah. was like 30 damage or something, right? And mm. the cool thing about the play is that if I attack and he blocks, he calls my bluff. I just resounding thunder it, right? Like right. it's kind of bad. I miss out on two points of damage. He knows the jig is up, right? No, but, like, but yeah, in comparison to what you were able to craft off the that play, um, the cost of the two points of damage is completely irrelevant. Yeah. Uh, so I end up losing this game again, but like whatever, like that is the type of thing where if you just play on autopilot, you do what you're quote unquote supposed to do. You're probably going to lose. Right. Yeah, I think that's a really fine example of uh, varying your play, you know, taking full advantage of creating the narrative in your opponent's head, something we've talked about before. I think when we talked about successful bluffing, your narrative has to make sense. And just like you described it perfectly, why else would you do the post-combat resounding thunder? Because you had the pump spell. Yeah, exactly. And then, I'm sorry, John, I don't remember. 
I, w- I wish you would have asked me. I wish you would have asked me. God, it lines up so well. That's amazing. I know. I know. That's game. Good luck.